This is Let's Talk Education Research, a research podcast from the Institute of Education at Dublin City University, with me, your host, Dr. Peter Tiernan. Hi, everybody. I'm here this month with Dr. Neil Kenny from the School of Inclusive and Special Education at the Institute of Education in Dublin City University. So thanks very much for joining me, Neil. I really appreciate you giving up your time and joining us on the podcast. Looking forward to our conversation together. Thanks for having me, Peter. No problem at all. So as we always do, can we just start maybe by you telling us a little bit about yourself, introducing yourself? I'll do my best. Yeah. Um, so uh, my name's Neil Kenny, um, and I am an assistant professor in the School of Inclusive and Special Education. Um, I am program chair of the uh, Master of Education and Autism program, um, a level nine program for teachers working with autistic students. Um, and I'm also research convener for um, our school. Um, so before, I've been here since 2017, and uh, before that I was in the University of Limerick, um, working in initial teacher education down Excellent. there. Excellent. And previous to that, were you... Uh... I have had a round robin of uh, working uh, in various different institutions. So I also had a certain time in Mary Immaculate College. I was in the, what is now TU Dublin, when it was the Institute of Technology in Blanchardstown. And I've taught programmes in early childhood education, primary secondary and uh, social care for um, uh, adults services um, so a real mixed bag and Excellent. before that I would have worked in actual services um, in management and delivery as well. Lovely so just to get a sense of your, your background and where <laughs> you, how you came to be where you are today. Great so um, what are you here to talk to us about today? Um, obviously myself. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm here to talk to you. Um, We're just going to get a monologue about Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, uh, uh, so I'm going to talk about a paper that myself and a number of colleagues have recently been gotten published, um, which we're delighted about. And then maybe also talk about a uh, research network, um, which is linked to, they're on the same topic really, um, uh, which is hoping to bring together people that already work together and um, or work kind of simultaneously alongside each other, mm-hmm. but in separate silos. Um, and the overarching um, issue is talking about inclusivity and uh, collaborative research um, involving people from different backgrounds and with maybe different motivations or intentions. Okay, okay, so the focus is on the, the research? Yes. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um. And can you tell me a little bit about how this came to be? What's the context? What's the background? How did you end up doing the, doing this publication? Okay. Um, well, uh, I mostly do research looking at qualitative research methods, or inclusive education research inquiry, and also then some you know commentary on policy. And so um, obviously a big part of that work had moved in more recent years to evaluation projects or research projects involving quite a diverse uh, cohorts of participants. So mm-hmm. young children, uh, parents from different backgrounds, different ethnicities, English as second language, but also evaluations um, involving participant groups of individ- individuals with different communication cr- profiles, complex cognitive profiles, people with intellectual disability, people with um, a range of neurodevelopmental differences. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that had been the direction research had been going in for the last number of years. Um, and uh, certainly some of my PhD students um, had been doing research involving um, data collections with autistic young people um, 
or uh, those with intellectual disabilities. And what we were finding was that an awful lot of the um, work that they were doing preparing their research projects or in where we're designing grant applications or um, project designs for funders had been sourcing methods um, or how to adapt what we found um, to fit the profile of the people who were actually involved. Okay. So the paper that we published was drawing from that experience. Uh, and I So the experience of taking research methods and adapting them to different audiences, that's the real driver of it? Yeah, well, I suppose there's been a move in more recent years um, towards uh, increasingly qualitative research methods being a, a component or a larger part of research in informing policy um, or service design, big emphasis on including the voice or the perspectives of service end users or communities um, in policy or in services, um, which is laudable and it's, 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 it's right. Um, now, that's not the case in all situations, um, but oftentimes what the emphasis in research methods on validity and reliability of methods had been leaning towards, um, quote unquote, doing it right or proper, mm -hmm. or you know, leaning heavily on existing models of data collection. So the paper we produced came from um, that experience, and we'd also, um, myself and a colleague, um, Dr. Alison Doyle, who works in disability services in Trinity College, um, and is the primary psychologist in Sarah's Education Services, um, both of us had done a workshop on accessible research methods for researchers in the SRI who were doing uh, a national research project collecting data from students, sorry, cohorts or participants, um, they're adults I believe, with uh, complex intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. um, so that was, the impetus there was to bring a lot of what we'd used or methods that were available and approaches to how we would have adapted them to design research projects to put the workshop together, a set of materials for them. Um, so following that, we decided that we would bring together um, the set of resources to plug a gap that we noted in the literature on how to design and adapt or differentiate research methods depending on the profile or the context of the people you're actually doing the research with. So it's um, really a culmination of all this experience yeah, exactly. that you have. Yeah. And um, was it almost the, the workshop that made you realise we have plugged a gap? It, it well, feels like that from the way you described it. <laughs> no, I suppose sometimes, uh, and I don't know if you would have the same experience, sometimes you're doing what to do and that you have them in your head and siloed in different areas mm -hmm. um, or it's advice, advice you give to people and it, it's adapted depending on each circumstances. Whereas developing an all-day workshop is a lot of resources and there's a lot of um, um, cl collaboration and, and, and to a degree then you have a map of uh, a how-to in front of you there. Um, so it, it, it felt... Uh, it felt that the that the, some of the work anyway was done. Um, so certainly it wasn't the start of things, but mm -hmm. you know maybe it made the gap into putting and the paper together. And you a could little see bit. it come together because you'd spent all that time yeah. working for the workshop. Yeah. 
Okay, great. So, so the paper is a printed, um, published, sorry, in the International Journal of Qualitative Methods. It's published open access. Excellent. So um, I'm never What's sure. the title of the paper? paper? It's called Transformative Inclusion, Differentiating Qualitative Research Methods to Support Participation from Individuals with Complex Communication and commu Cognitive Profiles. So okay. it slips off the tongue, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think to make it easier, we'll have a link to that in the description mm. of the podcast. And it's great that it's open access. Yeah. Anybody listening will be able to... Um, we'll be able to, to read that. So I suppose then just moving on to the, to the paper itself yeah. then rather than, than where it came from, you mentioned to me just on the way uh, to this recording that it, it's a commentary on you know, the, the, the use of methods for diverse set of learners. What way did you put that together or you know, what, yeah. did you, what, what did you find is the wrong way of asking that question, no. but what were your conclusions or what, what are you drawing out as part of your discussion sure. in that paper? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose it's a, a, what to call it is, is, is not entirely clear because um, we're not talking about new methods. We're not talking about a da a, like um, a, a, a pulling together something that's not already available. Mm. The, the problem that we found was that, one, the methods that are available are scattered to the wind in various different sub-domains or with particular populations without it necessarily being applied across the board where there's a wider utility. And there is an issue with an overall framework f to guide researchers in how to go about this. So um, the aim of it really was to talk about the implications, first of all, of the current situation. So the implications are that oftentimes uh, individuals with complex communication and cognitive profiles was the title we gave. So. Mm -hmm. Individuals with, for example, um, sort of intellectual disabilities or, or complex neurodevelopmental conditions where they would have a kind of complex cognitive profile or individuals who have complex or different communication profiles. So, for example, non-speaking autistic people um, or selective mute individuals or, or, or for example, th those are just some examples. Um, so oftentimes um, those individuals are not included in large-scale qualitative research methods. Um, because there's nothing there to help the researchers actually engage with those individuals. Is that, that, yes, yeah. it's either uh, research shows that the methods and the technologies tend to be not as well known mm -hmm. as, or they're relatively rare, um, and or budgets are not sufficiently adapted to uh, con consider the longer time frame, higher budgetary costs and larger coordination and flexibility that might be needed. So we use the concept of epistemological or uh, um, epistemological injustice or um, whereby um, individuals perspectives are um, not included and particular voices are included within um, research and others are excluded because because of this exactly yeah. so it goes towards um, why for example concepts or constructs such as autism have changed so much in recent years as more autistic researchers become involved mm. whereas previously non-autistic people were constructing understandings of the experience or the concept of autism uh, is one of the issues that you're trying to to address that um if somebody wants to carry out qualitative research with some a neurodivergent po population, they may have some qualitative tools and every time they 
uh, every individual who encounters this has to take the qualitative tools and figure out themselves a way of adapting this to a different audience. And you're trying to bring together some previous experience and knowledge on how that was done yeah. so that everybody doesn't have to relearn it. Yeah. It's, it's almost like a line in the sand. Look, this is what's gone before a toolkit or a, a set exactly. of approaches. So the sort of practice uh, applied domain. So if you look at epistemic injustice, it actually is talking about how the United Nations Convention of the Rights of Persons with Disabilities um, needs to be enacted by actions and by um, accessible avenues to participate in research. So it would just suggest that people need to be, you know, society needs to foster inclusion and participation on people with intellectual disabilities. So to bring it back to what we're talking about, that means participating in research and being fast, being allowed to give their account of what they need and the way they see things in research that informs policy or service provision. So the approach we took was to use the principles of universal design for learning and apply these to the uh, practice of research. Um, so we would look at splitting it across how to plan for in advance and design um, accessible research um, that's appropriate for the participants you're working with. So these steps need to happen before you make any contact and we go through some of the literature and best practice examples of the type of considerations that you need to put in place there for that. Um, we looked at designing accessible research methods and approaches um, and would walk through some of the considerations that are important with that and give examples of best practice available in the literature. And it'd be coming from, for example, literature on research with early childhood education with the under fives. Um, examples would be, for example, Clark and Moss's uh, mosaic approach. It would be um, research methods with cross-cultural research, um, such as walking interviews or photo elicitation but applying them to other participant populations or looking at the work of, for example, um, people like Craig Goodall in Northern Ireland or researchers in the UK who would have uh, used activity-based interview uh, methods so that rather than sitting down and going through the, um, the, um, an interview or a focus group, um, that you would involve active active tasks and workshops mm. that would involve people coming together and for example doing some drawing or uh, using diamond ranking um, so developing a set of resources and then ranking them in importance or giving people tasks such as for example a walking interview or and um, things like um, one of Craig Goodall's would have had pots um, and beans where there's three pots one is stuff I like um, stuff I don't like and then I don't know and there's a set of statements and you put it in particular pots um, depending on your attitude and then you if it's that you would talk about why you made those selections afterwards if it was drawing you would talk about what the drawing meant um, if there were videos you would sorry pictures you would explain why you took those pictures and maybe then diamond rank them according to your preferences in schools etc um, so these kind of things um, it sounds like fascinating work and I really like the um, the transition from the literature, the policy, 
into practice. It'd be really valuable for practitioners, I think, exactly. to, to, to see, even as you speak about them there and you articulate it so well, the, the different uh, strategies that they might employ and how that mm. might be valuable in their context. So I think it's really important work. Um, and it shows, you know, um, such development in that in your diversity and the, the, the diversity of participants that we should be including yeah. in research. It's great. Um, so what's next? What would you like to do next? Is there anybody you'd like to collaborate with? Is there any resources that you would like mm. to make uh, available to people? Mm. What happens after the paper, apart from more papers? Yeah, <laughs> well, well, yeah, exactly. Um, I suppose um, a buzzword at the moment is universal design for learning in higher education to make it accessible. But part of maybe what this paper was talking about is that research exploring inclusive education or inclusive social participation. Oftentimes the machinery, the methods, the budgets, the timelines are not accessible. Mm -hmm. You know, the available resources for people to design research uh, using qualitative methods that includes non-speakers or people with, who required visual supports or assistive communication. The, the actual technologies or the processes are less available than the hoped for um, um, you know, uh, values that they're hopefully they would talk about in their late review, for example. So some of that is also uh, a feature of working as a researcher in the university. So how are universities and systems accessible and inclusive? Um, and oftentimes they're not particularly. Um, do many of us work in research with the participant cohorts as researchers or as collaborators um, um, that we're writing papers about. Oftentimes that's maybe not as easy to do. Um, so there's a, there's a, um, a whole schedule of research um, that myself and colleagues would uh, be involved with at the moment, um, looking at accessible and collaborative research involving you know, colleagues doing research in inclusive education, whether it's in primary, post-primary, or further education, in higher education, but also doing research alongside uh, neurodivergent or um, researchers with disabilities. Um, so we're developing a network, which tentatively we're calling the ACORN network, which is Accessible, accessible and Collaborative Research Network. Um, so there's a, a website um, just available at the moment, um, which lists the projects we're doing. Um, and this involves a mix of researchers from different backgrounds, different universities, um, neurodivergent and non-neurodivergent researchers. Um, and uh, there's a, a whole series of research projects looking at, I suppose, not only inclusive objectives, outcomes or ethos, but also an ethos of how we actually conduct the research um, so that everybody's learning from each other. Um, so there's two participatory research projects involving myself and my colleague Jane O'Kelly um, in collaboration with Fiona Early, the Autism Friendly University Project Coordinator, and some um, autistic researchers looking at the experience of autistic students in higher education. And also we have um, data collected on autistic university staff. Mm. Um, I collaborate with uh, Dr. Teresa Shields at the University of Limerick um, on the experience of um, students with traumatic brain injury and navigating higher education and how universities can be um, accessible to students with traumatic brain injury um, and neurodiversity 
in uh, higher education. And I'm sure, uh, like, if anybody internationally or nationally is listening to this and is interested in that area, you're open to collaborations and looking at the application Absolutely. of some of these tools and methods that you talk about in the paper, the application of those in different contexts. I think it'd be really interesting to see how that how that maps out across, you know, different populations. So Absolutely. There might, there might be some interesting collaborations. You mentioned a website there. Um, we will put the link to that That'd in, in yes, the description you. also um, for people to consult and yes. look at the projects and the resources that you have, that you've made available. So, Neil, um, unless there's anything else you, you want to add, is there no, any, any other burning ideas? Yeah, no, much appreciated. So thanks a million for, for uh, joining me this month, Neil. Um, I appreciate it. Um, just for our listeners, th- we are getting some works done in the university, and for the last two minutes there, I could hear some drilling faintly in the black- background. So if it comes Gritty through... realism. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um, so apologies if that does interfere with the listening experience. So again, thanks very much, Neil, and um, I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Much appreciated. Thanks again for joining us on Let's Talk Education Research. To find out more about the podcast, you can email me directly at peter.d.tiernan at dcu.ie or you can find me on Twitter at pt underscore phone underscore home.